welcome, and thanks for joining me. I'm Pam Christian, your host for the show called Faith to Live By. The overall focus of my podcast is to help us gain spiritual victory over life's issues. I want to be able to walk in all the benefits and blessings and power and authority Jesus has offered us. As both an apologist and a charismatic, I want to grow in my knowledge and understanding of the Christian faith while also learning how to operate in the spiritual. I firmly believe that we are to have a balance of both our intellectual and spiritual pursuit of our Christian faith. As born-again believers, we are spiritually transformed, and learning how to demonstrate Christ's spiritual authority is essential to experience God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This show is part two of Discovering Truth. If you missed last week's show, you'll probably want to listen to get the most out of today's program. With part one of Discovering Truth, we explored the truth about humanity, the truth about God and His character, will, and intentions for humanity. With today's program, I want to look at recent events in light of history to have an understanding of how truth has become so radically convoluted. And to help us gain understanding, I invited David Barton, founder of Wall Builders, to share his expertise. David will be joining us in just a bit. But first, let's consider recent events. In my lifetime in America, I've seen a major cultural shift from most people believing in the existence of God and having respect for and acceptance of the Bible with its instructions for life to nearly complete rejection of all these truths and values. The result has meant the rampant increase of evil and wickedness of all sorts evidenced by the radical protests and violence we've experienced this year. What many unenlightened people think is a political battle being played out before us is actually a battle of good and evil. And to be perfectly clear, I'm stating there is both good and evil in both of our major political parties. We need to remain focused on the truth that everything that occurs on earth in the natural is influenced by what is happening in the spiritual realm. Scriptures are clear. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 from the English Standard Version. To understand how we got to the place we are today, we need to look at the past. I trace our current cultural views on truth and values to the historical period known as the Enlightenment period. With the French Enlightenment in the 18th century, emphasis was placed on the primacy of human reason to explain the truth about God, about humanity, and about truth itself. By emphasizing reason and logic from the human perspective, devoid of any God perspective or revelation, We've skewed a right understanding of truth, and as a result, vast numbers of people are living with deceptions. As we've explored in earlier programs, deception is one of the greatest tools of the enemy to prevent people from discovering and living in truth. The French period of Enlightenment gave birth to the German period, which directly impacted religious faith, specifically by what became known as Protestant liberalism, also referred to as theological liberalism. This school of thought generated a movement rooted in the early 19th century German Enlightenment, notably in the philosophy of Immanuel Kant and the religious views of Friedrich Schleiermacher. It is an attempt to incorporate modern thinking and developments, especially in the sciences, into the Christian faith. Liberalism tends to emphasize ethics over doctrine and experience over scriptural authority. 
While essentially a 19th century movement, theological liberalism came to dominate the American mainline churches in the early 20th century. Liberal Christian scholars embraced and encouraged the higher biblical criticism of modern biblical scholarship, meaning they encouraged people to reject the authority of the Bible. Protestant liberal thought in its most traditional incarnations emphasized the universal fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the infinite value of the human soul, the example of Jesus, and the establishment of the moral ethical kingdom of God on earth. It has often been relativistic, pluralistic, and non-doctrinal, and this is where orthodoxy was largely abandoned. Liberalism birthed other movements with varying emphasis. Among these movements have been the social gospel, liberation theology, process theology, theological feminism, and the Jesus Seminar. One product of these movements is the heretical myth of Christian origins, which denies the divinity of Christ and the authority of Scripture. Liberal Christian teaching is considered by most not to be Christian at all. Rather, human reasoning is emphasized and regarded as the final authority. Science is considered as all-knowing and the Bible as an ancient fable-laden document that is no longer relevant. Liberalism's disregard for the church's long-standing claim that scripture is divinely inspired and authoritative has left its adherents with authority residing only in their own minds and with understandings of what is acceptable that are mere echoes of secular values. Protestant liberalism has significant influence. Its underlying theological position is held by most of the leadership and professors in the theological seminaries of several mainline denominations in the United States. This includes the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the United Methodist Church, the American Baptist Convention, the Presbyterian Church USA, and the United Church of Christ. Though all these denominations still have some conservative evangelical congregations, teachers, and people within them as well. In addition, Protestant liberalism is the most common viewpoint in campus ministry offices, in secular universities, and also among the professors who teach the Bible in religion departments of those universities. Campus parachurch ministries, however, tend to be more in line with evangelical Protestant point of views. And here's what we need to understand. When human reason replaces divine revelation, when cultural relativism replaces absolute truth, And when human optimism replaces divine salvation, what we have is humanity seeking to determine what is right and what is wrong and seeking to claim what is truth and what is error. In other words, theological liberalism has influenced many generations to believe that truth and morality are to be determined by humanity. Look around at the events in our news, especially since the beginning of the year 2020. Truth, logic, reason, common sense are being completely trampled upon, and lawlessness, rage, and destruction are increasing. The Christian faith is the last thing people of the world consider as a solution to our cultural demise, when in reality, Christianity offers more hope, purpose, and direction than any other belief system. To prove my point, surveys by the Pew Research Center and Barna Research Group reveal that Christianity has been on a serious decline for decades. The Pew Research Center on Religion and Public Life survey conducted in 2019 revealed a drop to 65% of American adults describing themselves as Christians, while those who identify as atheists or agnostics or nothing in particular 
referred to as nuns, stands at 26%, up from 17% in 2009. Comparing these two surveys, and it's clear, Christianity in America is on a rapid decline. How did reverence for the truth and fear of God as a nation become replaced with claims that truth is relative and God is merely a crutch for those who are unenlightened? Why do people today seek to overturn two centuries of American history and values? Why are people claiming America and its founding values are to blame for the present-day social and cultural unrest? Why are there people who want to convert America to a socialist, communist nation promoting Marxist ideals? I know I'm talking to my charismatic audience who longs to see God's power at work among us to put an end to all this violence, but I ask you, how can we expect to see God at work in any nation that collectively rejects him? God's been taken out of our schools. God's been taken out of our government. God's been taken out of our Pledge of Allegiance while the restraining influence of the church has shrunk back. If we want to see our country restored to a truly God-fearing nation that enjoys God's favor, then we need to understand our condition and our individual responsibility in it all. We need to understand the truth of our history and our responsibility as the church, or better stated, Ecclesia. If ever there's been a time when God's people in America need to humble ourselves, repent, and pray for God to heal our land, this is it. The devaluing of God that I believe began with the French and German periods of enlightenment has been allowed to grow for centuries while the influence of the church in America has continued to diminish. No wonder 1 Peter 4.17 clearly states judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Jesus gave the Ecclesia clear instructions in what we know as the Great Commission in Matthew 28.18-20, which we have failed to properly accomplish as Christians in America. To help us discover truth about our history in America is David Barton. David is the founder and president of Wall Builders LLC, which is an organization dedicated to presenting America's forgotten history and heroes with an emphasis on the moral, religious, and constitutional foundation America was built on, a foundation which in recent years has been seriously attacked and undermined. David spent eight years as an educator and a school administrator before founding Wall Builders. He has received numerous awards, including several Who's Who honors, two Angel Awards for Excellence in Media, and the George Washington Honor Medal. He has spoken to numerous state legislators, consulted with both state and federal legislators on various bills, and has written amicus briefs in cases at the U.S. Supreme Court. I had the privilege of interviewing David Barton on location, so I'll apologize in advance. The audio quality is not that good, and there was movement around us but the content is invaluable. So here's my interview with David Barton right now. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you, Pam. Thanks for having me. David, on the Wall Builders website, I read this quote from you, quote, in accord with what was so accurately stated by George Washington, we believe that propitious, which is favorable, smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation which disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained, because you quoted George Washington, I'm sure you had no idea that these very words would actually be prophetic. You know, interesting take on that, because I really did know they were prophetic, but not because they were George Washington's. What George Washington did was merely quote a Bible principle, and that Bible principle is timeless and universal, and it's real simple. If a nation does not do what God tells nations to do, they won't be blessed. Mm-hmm. And so if we want God's smiles on America, we have to do the thing God tells nations to do. Now, I will say right up front, I've got 
particular biases. Everybody has biases. Uh, part of my bias is that I do believe there is absolute truth and that it can be known and determined. Uh, polling this week came out and said that 58% of Americans, including 46% of Christians, believe there is no absolute moral truth. I'm one of the minority that believes there is, and I believe I find it in God's word. So for me, whatever God's word says is my top source of truth. I conform to that best I can. So if God says that nations won't be blessed unless they follow his standards, I believe it because God said it. It just happened to be that George Washington repeated that, but I believe it's true today. And so I think that's, that's what we are seeing as a nation, what we'll see 100 years from now, what we've seen for the last 400 years. It's all going to be based on that standard. I appreciate what you said about absolute truth, because that's something I've just brought my audience through with our recent broadcasts. And the claim that truth is relative is a shame, it's a sham, and it's a deception. And I'm glad to know we are going to be operating from the same premise here, that truth is indeed absolute. You know, this tremendous upheaval and civil unrest, including violence and anarchy and death and destruction that we've been seeing in our nation, does not represent the America that I was taught to know and to support. I'd really like you to help me and my audience with a refresher course about the early founding of America and the principles upon which America was founded. Well, this goes back to some Bible principles as well. We're told in, in Proverbs 23 that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the way we think affects our behavior and our actions. We have a certain set of beliefs and those beliefs become uh, the basis of why we do what we do. So this is where history becomes so important. If you get a different view of history, you will have a different set of reactions. If you believe, for example, as is being taught right now with the riots, that America is inherently evil, that all the evils that, that dominate the world today originated in America, then you're gonna to wanna to fight against America and, and, and all she stands for. But let's say that presentation of history is wrong. Let's say that, for example, we saw uh, this week, uh, US Senator Tim Kaine from, from Virginia, made the statement on the floor of the Senate that America is the one who created slavery. We're the ones that are responsible. No, how about the story of the Hebrew slaves getting out of Egypt way back in Exodus? How about the fact that before Columbus ever set foot in the new world, between 20 and 40% of natives were enslaved by other natives? I mean, let's just go down the list. But if you believe that America is the one who created slavery, which is the narrative that U.S. Senators putting out, which is what schools have been saying for a number of years, which is what the 1619 Project says, which is what Howard Zinn's history of the American people taught for decades. If you believe that, then you're going to want to fundamentally change America. If you believe that the free market system is what brings slavery and oppression to people, then you're going to want socialism, hands down. But what if those facts are wrong? And so what we're seeing right now, let, let me say how I can say this, the violence and the riots and the protests, some of it is out of innocent ignorance. Mm -hmm. now, some of it is out of deliberate antipathy. There's just hatred there and they want to hate someone and they're going to use this as an excuse for violence. I mean, looting stores has nothing to do with protesting George Floyd because those business owners had nothing to do with it. So you, you've got some riotous people that are going to look for excuses. But you also have a lot of people in protests, including a lot of evangelical pastors who have jumped on and bought a false narrative. And they're protesting something that, that has not been and, and is not accurate even now. So that's that's what I see with the people now. If you go back to the way it was started, there's a real different thing. And, and I'll just... Use race as an example. Uh, it's interesting that you can tell a real difference in the way people were treated in biblical parts of America and non-biblical parts. For example, we credit Virginia with being the, the source of slavery in America. 
okay? That we can show that, and by the way, it didn't happen in 1619, which is what people claim today, it happened in 1641 in a legal decision there. So we can point to that, but I can also point to the fact that the people in Virginia were not Bible-centered people. They claimed to be Christian, but they were not Bible-oriented. And we have However, a lot of that today, too. That's right. We have we have 72% of America who claims to be Christian. Right. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, which right. means most Christians don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. So if you go to Massachusetts and look at Massachusetts, which was founded by Bible-believing people, that's the, the Puritans and Pilgrims. These are the guys who brought the Bibles with them and read them. Well, it's interesting that up there, they passed a law that says anyone guilty of man-stealing, which is kidnapping for the purpose of slavery, that's a capital crime. And so you'll find that the, the first load of slaves is credited as coming to Virginia in the New World. The second load of slaves is credited as coming to Massachusetts. Well, while you did have slavery in Virginia, it's interesting that in Massachusetts, when that ship got there, they freed the slaves and imprisoned the slave owners. Now, that's a whole different narrative. Mm -hmm. But all that Americans hear today is the, is the Jamestown narrative, not the Plymouth narrative. And so I can show you from the very beginning that there has been a diligent, a, a very strong move for abolition and equality. And those who best knew the Bible were the ones who advocated for equality. Right. Right. And so you're leading abolitionists, you're leading underground uh, railroad people. Uh, you know, going back to Massachusetts, there never was a time in Massachusetts history when blacks could not vote. And we're talking from the 15, 1600s, early 1600s. What you're um, pointing out here is there's an awful lot of misinformation. That's right. Whether it's intentional or not, yeah. I can't say. But the fact is people are not doing their own due diligence. And that's we're right. just acting like sheeple. We're just going in these herd yeah. mentalities. Yeah. We suffer from something that happened to America in the early uh, 1900s, early 20th century. Progressive educators had pretty much taken the education system and they changed the system from teaching students how to think to teaching them how to learn. So we have learners today. That means whatever I hear, I just accept it and believe it. I saw it on the internet, read it on the news, saw social media posts, versus someone who actually goes back and digs out the truth. And you know, this is exactly a point that I brought out in my first book in the Faith to Live By series, is that our educators have been telling people what to think instead of teaching them how to think. That's right. That's right. There's no critical thinking in the sense that people aren't asking, is there more to the story than what you're telling me? Right. Is there historical evidence to the contrary? Uh, what you're telling, for example, we hear today the founding fathers were a bunch of racists and slave owners. And I, I speak at universities and other public places. And I remember being in a, in a black university law school, a great law school. And I put up a picture of, of the signers of the declaration. I said, isn't it, isn't it really sad that America was founded by a bunch of racist slave owners? And they said, yeah, that's really bad. I said, by the way, of those 56 signers of the Declaration, which of them owned slaves? And they could only name one that owned slaves. I said, so, because one of the 56 owned slaves, you believe that every one of them was a racist and slave owner. That's not critical thinking. Correct. You should recognize individuals. And that's the other thing progressive do is they divide us into groups. Instead of us looking at individuals and saying, you know what? Out of the founding fathers, about 25% were pro-slavery. But you have about 75% that freed their slaves, were abolitionists, led anti-slavery movements, worked to end slavery. Well, I can condemn the 25% and say that's wrong. They shouldn't have done that. But that's any group. Any group's going to have good and bad. And it just happens in the Founding Fathers group, the overwhelming majority were anti-slavery, were equality guys. They believe, I mean, in 1793, John Hancock, the governor of Massachusetts, held an equality ball in Massachusetts honoring blacks in the state 
and it was a big ball to celebrate blacks. Well, we and this never is hear not that anything we hear about. Not, no, not anything right. at all we hear about. That's right. You know, and there's been an awful lot about racism lately, and also the destruction of historical statues upset about the Civil War. Would you please give us some balanced perspective on the Civil War, about the two sides that were involved in the battle and the conclusion of the war, and then the aftermath that has brought us to today? Yeah, you know, as you look at the Civil War, I have a lot of historical problems with it in the standpoint that living in the Southern state as I do, I've been taught from back since I was really small that the Civil War is really about states' rights and the overreach of the federal government and, and states wanting to control their destiny. And that was good until I actually researched original documents and I had to change my position. Uh, of the 11 states that seceded from the United States, they gave reasons why they seceded. The senators from those states left the U.S. Senate, left the Congress, and gave farewell speeches in Congress on why they're leaving and why they're starting a new nation, Confederate States of America. 11 of the states left, and five of those states gave declarations of why they were leaving. And in every single declaration, it said the reason we're leaving is we want to preserve slavery because we believe that slavery is a blessing for Africans. Now, I've got to say, I think that's dead wrong. That, right. That's not equality. That's not biblical. And I don't care how many preachers said it was, but that's not state right. That's slavery. And, and by the way, when I read the Confederate Constitution, it said you cannot be part of the Confederacy unless you advocate for and support and defend slavery. I go, huh, that's not, that's not states' rights. So when I look at, at the Civil War, I can say, you know, there's a lot of people involved, and not every one of them was a racist. Mm -hmm. And some of the guys interviewed in the Civil War said, well, why are you fighting the Union? Because you guys invaded us. They weren't fighting for slavery. At the time, you have actually about 8% of Americans who owned slaves. Now, you would think that 143% of Southerners owned slaves based on what we hear today. Exactly. But 8% owned slaves. So a lot were fighting because it was their home, their territory. A lot did not own slaves. Now, granted, a lot of the economy was, was slave economy. I mean, slaves produced so much of agriculture and everything else. There were some solid Christian people involved in the Civil War on the Southern side. However, as a general rule, I don't like what the Civil War was about or the way they went at it. Uh, the fact they seceded, I mean, you had so many founding fathers who were very clear that you can't secede. This is not a no-fault marriage. You can't just have a no-fault divorce. You can't just leave when you want to. We made a lifelong covenant here. And so at the time of secession, that was a breach of that covenant. And, you know, that's pretty clear from founding writings. So in saying all of that, I can look at Civil War generals. There, there are statues of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Now, I've got real problems with him because he started the Ku Klux Klan. He's the guy who massacred soldiers at Fort Pillar. This is a guy who believed violence and death was an acceptable means of creating political wins. But I don't necessarily think the statues need to be taken down of him because I can point to him and use him as an example right. of what's wrong and what shouldn't be done. I'm amazed at Europe. When I look at Germany, and we, we often are involved with taking congressional delegations to Europe and we go to Holocaust sites and other places. Germany, who has so much to be ashamed of from Nazi stuff, they actually have museums all about the Nazis in Germany because they want their people to know what was wrong, what happened, how it happened, so they will never do it again.
And that's a point that I have been thinking as our history is being removed from our eyes by way of statues being destroyed and whatnot. And it also reminds me how not only have our students been being taught what they instead of how to think, yeah. but they've been fed what I term revisionist history. They don't right. have an accurate understanding of America's history. Can you help address that a little bit, please? Yeah, revisionist history is, is rewriting history to what you want it to be, not what actually happened. And what I appreciate about the Bible and even about Israel is, uh, you know, I think hands down, David's one of the greatest kings in Israel. And therefore, they've got all sorts of monuments to him in Israel. But they've also got monuments to King Ahab, one of the worst kings in Israel. They've also got monuments to Absalom, one of the worst kings. And so they have the good, the bad, the ugly. And that's what I see in the Bible is I like the story of David. What a great guy. But he's maybe the worst parent in the Bible. He couldn't keep his kids under control. And whether you look at Absalom or Adonijah or Amnon uh, and, and you look at him, you're going to murder Uriah and sleep with his wife. Are you kidding me? Well, the Bible tells us the good, the bad, the ugly, and we learn from all of it. And so revisionist history says, oh, David never did anything wrong. He was always a great guy. Or, oh, David was always a terrible parent. He never did anything good. Revisionist history says, I have an agenda I want to reach. And I, I know that if I can turn what happened in history to support my position, I can get you to my position. Well, this is where I go back to, I support absolute truth. I want to tell the good, the bad, the ugly. If it happened, I may not have liked it, but you know what? It happened and I can learn from it. And I'm not going to create stuff that didn't happen just because I wanted it to be different. Right. So you have a lot of people who want a very different America today. And the only way to get America to be fundamentally different is to get you to dislike the America that currently exists. Mm -hmm. And we do that by, you know, we're, we're all guilty of racism and we all are oppressive financially and we all, whatever. And, and, and that's just not accurate. But that's what revisionist history is, is, is not telling the full story. It's picking and choosing or even concocting, as, as Senator Kane did from Virginia, making up history about that we're the ones who created slavery. That's, that's silly, but that's revisionist history. And deception is exactly what's being done here and a topic that I have really been spending a lot of time on that we can be deceived and not know it because that's the nature of deception. If you've just joined us, I'm Pam Christian, the host of this podcast known as Faith to Live By. I seek to help us all gain spiritual victory over life's realities. And today we're talking about discovering truth. Today is part two of Discovering Truth, and to help us understand the condition that we're in, my guest today is David Barton. David is the founder of Wall Builders, and I'm so privileged to have you here. Now, David, we're talking about revisionist history. We're talking about people having uh, an agenda with the kind of information that they spew or teach, as it may be in the cases of many of our colleges. Uh, how has that impacted the present-day narrative and unrest that we're experiencing right now? You know, great question. And by the way, I want to just add a little bit to your comment about deception, because I think that's really important. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me is the passage in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. And it says, because the people did not love the truth, because they did not love the truth, it says that a spirit of deception came to them. They believed a lie and they suffered the consequences. And just to put an absurd illustration on it, the truth is that gravity is a force that will pull you to the earth. But you know what? I create my own truth. I don't believe in gravity. I don't think it has any impact. I don't like what it is. Therefore, I accept a deception. And deception is gravity won't affect me. And because I accept deception, I'll believe a lie. And the lie is I can jump off any skyscraper and it will not hurt me if I do because gravity will not affect me. But the consequence is I will die when I hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're into now historically. 
we don't have a love for the truth. Therefore, when deception comes, we believe the lie and we're paying a price for it. And part of that is what we see right now going with the riots and others. Um, there is a lot of unrest over racial history. And there's no question that there is racism in America. But institutionalized, that's a different thing. It was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. That's why we passed the laws to get rid of that. Is it institutionalized now? Well, only if you present a skewed history and if you don't love truth. If you love truth, you've got to say, you know what? Slavery is a human problem. It's not a race problem. Right. As a matter of fact, you'll find that up through the 1700s, there were more whites enslaved than there were blacks enslaved. As a matter of fact, at the time of the Civil War, according to census records, and these are numbers done by the, the great black historian Carter Woodson, who's called the father of black history, he documented that at the time of the Civil War in 1860, of free blacks who lived in South Carolina, 43% of free blacks owned black slaves. So black on black slavery was very high. You also find that while 8% of Americans owned slaves, 12% of, of Native Americans owned black slaves. So the, the rate of slavery of black slaves held by Native Americans was higher than it was by whites. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, when we abolished slavery in 1865, it did not affect the Indian tribes. And so slavery continued after 1865 in the Indian tribes. You know, I just go through all sorts of stats. I say, you know what? Let's look at America. America is the first nation in the world to approve a law that would ban the slave trade. We did that in 1807. Great Britain also did it in 1807. There's went into effect before ours did, but we signed it first. Then as nations started to abolish slavery, the first nation to abolish slavery was 1833. Now that's fairly recent in history. You mean nobody abolished slavery till 1833? No, first nation, 1833, Great Britain. Second, third, we were the fourth nation. We did so in 1865. So in 1865, which is not that long ago, mm -hmm. we we're only the fourth nation in the world to abolish slavery. But you know what? That put us as a world leader. We were in the top 1% of nations to do it. And we're the only nation where whites went to war against whites to free blacks. No other nation's ever done that, ever paid that price of 620,000 lives to free, to free blacks. So we're outstanding in that difference. Uh, and we have problems because as long as you have people involved, you're going to have racism. And it's going to, there, there are blacks that are racist. There are Hispanics that are racist. Right. There are whites that are racist. If you're human, you can be a racist until right. God changes your heart. So if you look at where we are today, or let me say one other fact. If you look back to the, the African slave trade that ran from 1501 to 1875, in that period of time, there were 12.5 million Africans taken out of Africa against their will. Now, on the voyage to the New World, about 2 million of them died. So about 10.5 million Africans reached the New World. If you listen to professors today and listen to critics today, you would think that all 10.5 million came to America. Not so. As it turns out, 46% of all of the slaves went to Brazil and Portugal. 26% went to England, 11% to France, etc. America only got 2.4% of the slaves. Now, that means 97.6% of those slaves were taken to other nations. I thought they all came to America. You sure think so, if you're looking you, at what's going sure on in the news so. That's today. That's right. America, exactly. re America received 300,000. Now, we should not have received them, but we, we did 300,000. So we're one of the first to get rid of the slave trade, one of the first to get rid of slavery. Now, let's look at where we are today in the world. There's 195 nations at the UN. Today, slavery is still legal in 94 nations in the world today. 
Today, there are 40 million people currently in slavery, serving in slavery today. That's more than the history of the slave trade. So why aren't we focusing on the world? Why don't we focus on the 94 nations that still have slavery? Why are we focused on a nation who was in the top 1% of ending slavery? And slavery was with every race, every group, every people. What happens is we have a revisionist view that all slavery came out of America. We're responsible for all racism in the world. We didn't do anything to end racism. And one other point that's worth making is we abolished slavery to the 13th Amendment. Then in the 14th and 15th Amendment, we guaranteed civil rights for all Americans, regardless of color, regardless of skin color. We don't care if you're black, white, whatever you are. At that time in American history, only white males could vote, which means, and by the way, to pass a constitutional amendment, it takes two thirds of the House and Senate and three fourths of the states to ratify. So since only whites could do that at that time, that means that two thirds of the whites in the House and Senate said, we want blacks to have the same rights we do. Three fourths of the states said, we want blacks to have the same rights we do. That's a pretty good equality stuff by white people leading. Now, there's always exceptions. There's always bad white folks, there's black, bad black folks or red folks or any folks, it doesn't matter. They're humans, but my gosh, has America done so much good and we still got improvement we can make, no question about it. I well, mean, this is no part of why I wanted to have you on the program. I knew you could help us set the record straight. What's going on right now in our nation is anarchy and a lot of yeah. misinformation. With that in mind, David, because we're getting clearly close on time here, what should we as spirit-led Christians do to help get our nation back on track? I know prayer is, is tantamount. I know that. But what else can we do so that we can see God's kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, what we're going to do is going to have, it's going to involve something that most Americans don't like right now, and that's personal improvement and personal work. You can't teach other people what you don't know. And most people don't know history in America. They don't know the history of racism or of race in America. I often speak to black churches. And when I speak in black churches and go through all the black founding fathers that were so prominent in the founding era, the black heroes, it's very possible the American Revolution would have continued much longer had it not been for black heroes like James Armistead, for black heroes like Prince Estabrook, and, and for Peter Salem, and Salem Poor, and Jack Sisson, and so many. Blacks don't know those names today. Whites don't know those names today. So we think all the founding era was totally white. Oh my gosh, no. It was black. It was, Hispanics played a big role in the American Revolution, were substantial in many of the Southern battles. I mean, there's so many things that we don't know today. So, you can't teach people what you don't know, which means you need to go back and do some study. Oh, I've got to unlearn several things. Yeah, you'll have to unlearn several things you've learned wrong, and you need to go to original source documents. And by the way, I'm surrounded by 100,000 documents from before 1812. So I'm surrounded by thousands of the handwritten documents of black leaders, of female leaders, of Hispanic leaders, of Indian leaders, of others. We put a lot of those on our website so people will see the actual history. Mm -hmm. So you first have to teach yourself history. The second thing you have to do is teach yourself the Bible. Because right now we've got a lot of Christians who do not think biblically. There are uh, also a large percentage of them who are illiterate, who don't right. know the Bible. Who don't know the Bible. Only 14% of Christians read the Bible. Only 6% actually believe the Bible so, and, and live by it. So we're a very small group. So Christians have got to do that. Then the third thing you have to do is you have to start creating relationships with people and sharing what you know with them. Uh, the church in the 20th century has got into a really bad habit of trying to make converts. Jesus said, go make disciples. Right. And right. disciples is one-on-one -on -one relational stuff. Let's sit down over coffee and talk about this. Like, hey, let me show you something I found in an old book from 300 years ago. Maybe you've never seen before. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. We keep trying to change people by the masses. And you don't do that. You change them one at a time. 
Jesus sits with the woman at the well and changes her. He sits with the demoniac and changes him. It's not the crowds he spoke to that changed the world. It's the 12 guys that he hung with that changed the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing we got to do. I think the three steps that you brought out are very, very important. And I'll add to that a fourth step, which is to get engaged in our culture. Yes. I mean, when we've got so much going on, I often ask, where are the Christians in these situations? Where are the Christian educators? Where are the Christian politicians? Where are the Christians in the marketplace? We need to be making our faith visible demonstrating our faith, speaking up for absolute truth, and really being engaged with the culture. David, you have so much information, a wealth of information. I'd like you to please let my audience know where they can see the website and, and see the wealth of information that you and your team have done through the years. Yeah, if they go to wallbuilders.com, and by the way, wall builders doesn't mean we're part of building the wall on the southern border of the United States. That's not it at all. <laughs> wall builders comes out of the Bible book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah was rebuilding things that had been torn down, the wall around Jerusalem. So very figuratively, it's the greatest grassroots movement in the Bible is, is the wall building in Jerusalem. So we take that figuratively to say, hey, people need to get involved in rebuilding their communities and their cities, et cetera. So if they go to wallbuilders.com, they will find there a ton of resources, not only these, these original artifacts, but we've done a number of books. We have a book out, This Precarious Moment, which is addresses racism in America and, and how you can solve that what some of the history is that people don't know. Uh, there are things like that. We, we have over 40 books that we've published and written, several hundred on the website that are sound information. We don't put them up if we can't historically verify and document how accurate they are. So there's a lot there that people find that will be good, useful resources, including a lot of things they can use as small groups. If you want to disciple four or five at a time, great. There's, there's some great video courses there that you can take and share with small groups and have a fun time around the coffee table. Great. And you know, the book that you just mentioned that you've got coming out, I'll be glad to put that on my show notes and have a link so that people can find that particular book. Oh, great. That's right. terrific. All right, David, thank you so very much. I'm sure I'll have you back because I can always pick your brain and learn what I need to know. Thanks, Pam. Appreciate all you do. God bless. Isn't David a wealth of information? He and his team have done an amazing job for years. And I'm just so glad to have them as a resource. I'll definitely have their contact information in the show notes for you. And I'll have him back because as he pointed out so clearly, unless we do our own research, we can't know that what we believe is actually true. That's what this program has been about, part two of Discovering Truth. Well, now that we've completed Understanding Faith and Discovering Truth, next week we're going to talk about how to apply our faith, how to demonstrate our faith in a world that desperately needs to see the supernatural victory power of Jesus Christ. If we want to see victory in our nation, and if we want to be used by God to push the forces of evil back, then we will need to know how to prepare ourselves to be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 40, For whoever is not against us is for us. So I pray that we all make the courageous decision to be for Jesus and take our righteous stand against evil. Faith to Live By is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that began in 1997 and has grown to offer many different goods and services. I've spoken about them before, but I do hope you'll visit my website, and see what some of our products and services are for yourself. That website is PamelaChristianMinistries.com. Also, I want to point out that I will have included in the show notes some information about my partners and my sponsors that help me make this program available to you. Today, I'm highlighting Virtual Shield. Your online identity needs to be protected, so check out the 30-day free trial available by using the link in the show notes. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel, and it also helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith every week as I cover the topics right here on Faith to Live By. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live By TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. If you'd like to be one of my insiders, subscribe to my complimentary bi-monthly e-newsletter. I offer you your choice of a free gift in appreciation for your subscription. And lastly, visit my page for this show at faithtoliveby.com to enjoy all of the podcasts and broadcasts and the bonus material we've provided and produced for you right here on Faith to Live By. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen. Faith to Live By is where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him. Thank you.